Welcome to Disarming Leviathan, a podcast designed to equip you to missionally engage American Christian nationalists. Uh, today, I'm joined by Mike Erie, who is a proud Ohio native who now lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He serves as a teaching pastor and also runs the Voxology podcast, which he has been doing for nine years, which is pretty long in podcast years. Uh, he's also published some books and has a, 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 a lot of great perspective on how it is that we uh, can reach with hospitality and kindness and Christ-likeness uh, the people in our lives who have given themselves over to uh, polarization, anxiety, outrage, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, this was a ton of fun. Mike is not only uh, really thoughtful in his approach to following Jesus and leading and shepherding a congregation, he is also hilarious. And so you're going to love this episode with Mike Erie. So, so, Mike, uh, as a pastor, you have yes. uh, shepherded yes. people through shepherd. these many uh, these many difficult years. You've seen the rise of Christian nationalism in our communities and the church. How are you shepherding people uh, who come to you and they ask, like, what do I do with my Aunt Betty or my cousin Steve or my nephew yeah. Jimmy who's yelling at the kid's birthday party and they're yelling about politics or they just seem to be really, really animated around this stuff. Yeah. Um, man, that's a great question and a worthy, worthy, uh, endeavor. So, so, um, I pastor a church in Tennessee, which, you know, but politically is pretty well defined. Um, and one of the things that we seek to practice, um, is hospitality and the hospitality towards the other. And for some of us, the other is the person that's the rabid Trump supporter or the rabid Christian nationalist. For others of us, it's the left-leaning, you know, Biden supporter and whatever else. And so our church, we want our church to be politically diverse. So we think that's super important these days. Mm. So, so we don't, we don't want to make uh, litmus tests politically for people to participate in our community, whether for or against whatever. So we have folks who would probably see themselves under the guise of Christian nationalism in our community. So this isn't a, a far away conversation. This is something that we're walking in the midst of. And we encourage that. And we encourage that by practicing what we call the liturgy of the table versus the liturgy of politics. The liturgy of the table is that we're all gift recipients around the table of Jesus. None of us has a right to be there. None of us has a right to define who else gets to come. And we extend the hospitality that Jesus shows us into the you know, that hospitality then defines our hospitality towards the others. So um, what that means, and we make a big deal out of this, is that 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 practice of the table and Jesus's welcoming of all around the table is so much different from the demonizing, um, you know, um, uh, victimization, uh, politics, the identity politics that our culture sort of sort of uh, practices. And so we're constantly trying to uh, help people, myself at the top of this list, uh, in the words of Ted Lasso, to be curious and not judgmental. Mm. And um, with folks with whom I differ politically, I have not found one good 
avenue of productive conversation that begins with me leading with disagreement, critique, nagging. How could you believe this? Right. Those are all, that's the, that's the liturgy of politics. The liturgy of the table begins with listening and questions. And I found myself much more able to understand the appeal of some of the rhetoric of some of the policy of political positions that I myself don't agree with, but I understand the need they're filling better by listening to the the folks that are actually saying, listen, I don't agree with everything over here, but I'm really concerned about this thing. And this thing I think is the most important thing. Now I may disagree with whether or not that thing is the most important thing, but, but as my, I'm in therapy perpetually. And as my therapist says, you know, you can't, you can't be compassionate towards people unless you hear their stories. And, um, and so, so thinking of myself as somebody who comes in to listen and show hospitality rather than somebody who feels the need to always correct others or to be right. That's where that starts for me personally. So I want to be curious and ask, you know, what do you find attractive? What do you see when, when you see indictments or when you see the Bible misused, how do you reconcile that? And, and I found those conversations to be much more productive. So, uh, Pastor Mike, I want you to help me here. I'm, I don't I'm, know who Pastor Mike is. Uh, but Reverend yeah, Michael. Thank you. Holy, I, I, I prefer Holy Roman Emperor, but no one, no one Are you in Rome? That. No, but I like Times New Roman. And mm. um, and I'm a big fan of Super Bowl numbers, so I think that qualifies. I, but anyway, I feel. Ahead. Let me run that up the flag. And see what happens. <laughs> uh, so, clergyman Michael, uh, yes, you, yes. <laughs> you're you're inviting us to reimagine our relationships uh, as centering not around politics but around the table of of Jesus. Yep. Uh, Which is a politic, by the way. Okay. Say more right? about it's, that. Well, so have you ever read, um, Lee Camp wrote a book called Scandalous Witness. This is a book. This This is a book. Okay. There's probably an audio book (laughs) and there may be videos. Okay. Well, (laughs) okay. So he does this masterful job of giving us language that what the earliest Christians claimed were, they were not claiming that they were a privatized religion. Nope. This was a new social order. The church was a new social order in the world. Nor was the early church claiming political affiliation in the categories of their day, as they would not in the categories of ours. Rather, they claimed to be an entirely different politic. That they, if politics, uh, if, if you define politics as the art of getting along in a community, then we're all political. But if you push further into the claims of the earliest Christians that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, and we know very well that those were Caesar words um, that the early church was using to say, you can't have the same allegiance to Caesar as you can to Jesus because we're using the same words to describe both. Um, You realize that there is a political statement being made by the church, namely that there is a new social order in the world that is no respecter of the social hierarchies that exist in the world, but rather invites all to come together around the table of Jesus as siblings. And so you'll get James saying things like, you know, woe to you who are rich uh, because of your low social standing, but woe to you who are, or, or blessed you who are poor because of your high social standing. In other words, what the gospel does is it takes those who are considered high and mighty in the world and brings them down 
and those that are considered lowly in the world and lifts them up so that we might all participate as siblings around the table. So there was a distinct social order, a political movement that was indeed um, brought into the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the formation of the church through the spirit. But that church pr uh, practices a politics that is so unlike any of the politics in our world that no political category could ever be broad enough to conceive or can, you know, of, of conceal, conceive of it or capture it. So in words of Lee Camp, we're neither religious nor we're right nor we're left. We're something else beyond those categories entirely. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm part of something bigger than just the left-right divide or the red team and the blue team. And I'm sitting with people who are, uh, we're all misfits, right? Like we don't really fit together according to the systems of this yeah. world. Jesus has right. invited us to the table. Uh, but but I hate what's coming out of their mouth. Yes. I, it just drives me crazy. It's bigoted. Absolutely. It's xenophobic. It's greedy. Yes. It's crazy. It's conspiracy. So yeah. like, how can I stay at the table? Yeah. Yes. Uh, that, that's the question, right? So, so we look at Jesus and Jesus was engaged in a culture war in his day. There are at least the Jews of his day were, right? What do we do about Rome? That was the political theological topic of his day, burning in the very fabric of Jewish society. And so it was a culture war. How do we get rid of the Roman pagans? How could God allow the Messiah's people to still be in exile, even in their own land? And the answers that were given were some religious in nature, the Pharisees, well, we're not holy enough. If we just turned, if we just humbled ourselves humbled ourselves, turned our, our, our faces back to God, brought back God into schools or whatever, God would come and redeem his people. Others were more pragmatic and they just said, well, if, if, if we are going to have this foreign power over us, we may as well try to influence that power so that it benefits us. And so you have the Sadducee priesthood system. You have the zealots who just thought, listen, we're out of here baby, this is, this thing is going to hell in a handbasket. We are out. And so we'll just, we'll just segment and create duplicates. So they had a duplicate temple. They had a duplicate calendar. They had duplicate sacrifices. Um, and they existed in their own isolated subculture. And all of this should be sounding really familiar to the political options we have today, right? About <laughs> how do we make America Christian again? Well, of course, Jesus comes and immediately invites 12 followers, uh, some of whom and most of whom have a lot in common. They're, they're, they're fishermen from Galilee. There's one Judean. He's the money guy, which is interesting, Judas. But then there's this, this guy called Simon the Zealot. And he sits across from a guy named Levi or Matthew the tax collector. And though there wasn't as much animosity as there will be in the future regarding these two groups, there was already deep-seated skepticism because – to the zealot, the tax collector was somebody who was like in cahoots with Rome and defiling himself and keeping other Jewish people defiled because he was enforcing these oppressive tax laws. And the zealot, maybe not then, but later, the zealot tribe became a tribe of Sicarii, dagger men, who would assassinate people like Matthew or Zacchaeus. So, so whatever Jesus was doing, he was able to pull consistently people who stood on the utter and absolute ends of the political spectrum in opposition and probably a bunch of people who just didn't care, 
right? I don't imagine Peter, I imagine Peter worried about fishing. I don't imagine Peter worrying about, you know, uh, what's the best way to deal with Rome? Maybe he had opinions, maybe not. I don't know. But but whatever Jesus was doing, he was redefining their identities in ways that switch their tribal affiliations. And that's what I think the church has to do. The church has to challenge every tribal affiliation other than that in Christ. In Christ is the only tribal affiliation that matters when we're in the the community of people practicing the Lord's Supper. And so to do that, I think there's a lot of work, right? We have to model patience and kindness and listening and hospitality. We have to model critical thinking skills and realizing not every battle is worth fighting. We have to resist in ourselves the temptation to other and be discipled by news media. I mean, all the things that you know and have practiced and would invite others to practice, all of that's wrapped up in what the church is. If the church isn't isn't challenging our tribal identities, then the church isn't functioning the way Jesus and Paul imagined that it would. So that sounds attractive to me. That sounds like you're right on. I I have heard the Bible read aloud once or twice, and I think that that's probably accurate. (laughs) But see, the problem is, is these people, right? They're saying that the gospel is something else, that the church should become militant and take power, that that their that their presidential candidate is gonna save the church. Like they they just have this different vision than what you're saying. So what do I do? Of course. Well, I mean, we have the same uh, same options that Jesus did, right? You have the options of um opposition, demonizing, uh labeling. Right, assuming the worst, we have all of those options sitting in front of us. But the Sermon on the Mount prescribes the way we um, resist what we consider to be evil with creative goodness, with forgiveness, with blessing and not cursing, with praying even for those that persecute us. And I think one of the things the church, at least in my experience, uh, um, has really failed to grasp is is um, it's it's invitation to embody the better alternative to the world. Mm-hmm. And so what we, in our quest to save people from a sinking ship and get their souls to heaven, we've missed the answering the question, you know, if evangelism answers the question, what happens if you die tonight? Dallas Willard has this great line. Well, then what happens if you live tonight? Does Jesus have nothing to say about that? And, and I think in our quest to save people, we've really cut off what salvation turns out to be, which is this fully human participation in new creation. And so we lack similar resources to understand that, yes, uh, I can sit and vehemently disagree with people, as did Jesus. Um, I, I think there is vast corruption in the way the Bible's being used, um, just like Jesus saw. Um, but what Jesus refused to do was to engage in these old sort of creation behaviors that lead to nothing other than just increasing wrath as two groups oppose each other more deeply. And rather, he engaged in these acts of creative goodness, which, you know, it, we're not passive at all. But like the turn the other cheek thing, that's not being uh, a doormat, as you know, that's resisting the powers by shaming them in really creative ways. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of room there that I myself haven't explored before. I just want to say, well, I'm going to wipe the dust off my feet. I get, I'm in, I'm infuriated 
by what happened in January 6th and about the, the name of Jesus being invoked and the Lord's Prayer being prayed um, and the crosses being, you know, uh, seen next to nooses. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just to the core of me absolutely furious about that. But how I handle that is, is itself a validation or invalidation of, of the cross of Jesus, right? I mean, for me, the response to this comes down to three significant points. Number one, if it, if it acts like Jesus, then you can call it Christian. And how does Jesus act? Through, obviously, self-sacrificial love. Uh, the second point is it's more important to be faithful than effective. God never said to the church, hey, do great things for me. Hmm. But over and over, the New Testament writings are solely focused on the church being the faithful witness to the reality of Jesus in the way it uses power and in the way it reorders social relationships. And then the third thing is there's nothing so important in our culture that we have to get off of our crosses to accomplish. Hmm. So if our fundamental identity is as people who are co-crucified with Christ, that means that I practice the same a mode of Jesus life, which Paul identifies in Philippians 2, that though he had all the rights and privileges and advantages of godness, he did not use them to his own advantage, but rather emptied himself. You know the text. So as somebody who has rights and privileges, my job isn't to go around insisting on my rights. My job is as someone who's co-created with Christ is to, is to abandon my rights um, and instead be open to being poured out for the sake of others, right? Just as Jesus was. So if that is the, the definition of what it is to be a Jesus follower, then how I respond to people who are polluting the message, misusing the message, can only fall within that range of behaviors for it to be truly Christian. Hmm. So, so as, mu- as angry as I am, and as much as I, I want to and have protested, all of that is well and good, but if I'm if if I have contempt in my heart, if I'm demonizing and labeling, if I and I and I do I do all these things, but what I can't do is sit there and call that Christian. That's not Christian. Um, and so it, it, and it turns out I'm just playing Christian nationalism by a different sort, right? I'm just I'm still sorting people into sheep and goats, and true and false. Um, and I'm still engaging in the same behaviors that I myself am condemning. That's the horrible thing about judgment is that I love to judge the judges. And in so doing, I become one of them, right? Hmm. So, so to be immersed in the gospels of Jesus and the imagination that the new Testament opens up about what the church should be and how it relates in the world to me is where this whole thing has to start. That the goal of my discipleship isn't being right. And it's not convincing everybody else that I'm right. The goal of my discipleship is to be faithful and faithfulness looks like creating an alternative to the hierarchies and social orders of the surrounding world. So it sounds like as the times new Roman Holy empire emperor Mm -hmm, that you are, mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. calling us to. Oh, I'm dictating. Uh, This is dictating to us. Yeah. Yeah. Not one person has agreed to it. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's, I think it's out there. I think emperors get to just, yeah, they don't care if people agree. (laughs) You're calling us to be like Jesus with people who are not acting like Jesus. Because I'm one of those people. Yes. Well, that's not, you're not going to make for a very good Holy Roman times new Roman emperor then. I know that's uh, that. I think that's why like no one else has credentialed me that way. Mm, I understand. Um, 
But but no, you're absolutely right. And I love I love the way we're poking at this because there are some deeply harmful things that are being said and done that are that are tragic and, and harming real people, hurting them. There are ideologies in, in the name of Jesus that are bringing harm to people, and those must be opposed. I'm just saying our opposition to those can only fall under the rulership of Jesus as it's sort of laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, let's say or in the practices of new creation that that we see Paul encouraging the church into. So if I'm not able to fight the dragon without becoming the dragon, then I'd better just sit this one out. Mm -hmm. It's better for me to do that than to to seek. I mean, anytime we have to break the commands of Christ to somehow fulfill the agenda of Jesus, we have deeply lost our way. Mm. So if I can't, argue for what I think Jesus's agenda is in the world without becoming angry, hateful, and contemptuous, then I'm no longer doing the work of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm adding to the, the discord and the disunity of the powers and the principalities in the world. I'm not, I'm not, no matter what, Jesus doesn't ask us to focus on outcomes. He asks us to be faithful. So faithful for me has to do with how I regard my enemy in the way that I treat them, Right. And, and and there are there are people I block on the on Twitter and I mute and when I come on the television I don't want to hear them absolutely absolutely I find their views abhorrent but that's different for me anyway than than seeing them as objects of hatred or objects of contempt although mm-hmm. there are a couple that I really struggle with <laughs> and um and and I just recognize that the contempt I'm feeling, that's not of Jesus. That's not my prophetic righteousness. That's not me turning over tables. I can trust Jesus to turn over tables when it's right. There's no verse that says I'm trustworthy to do that. Right. Yeah, there's this hyper-focus on the flipping tables, but just noticing Jesus does that like once, maybe twice, depending on how you read John. Totally. But he's always setting tables. And it, it seems Come, like his, Oh, that'll his, preach, bro. <laughs> Come his, on, Caleb, that'll preach. His prophetic ministry was table setting, not table flipping, right? Bro, and, do you, is that in your book? Well, heck yeah, it's is in my book. Every, yeah, every one-liner I've got yeah, is in my dude, book. So that's the whole book. It's just one-liners yeah. strung together <laughs> with transitions. I love that. That's a you, great. You've got it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a preacher, dude. Like, I don't have Come good on, material. Man. I just have, you yeah, know, alliterated, yeah. memorable material. There it is. We're marketers. We're not yeah, that's we're right. creators. Always be closing. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so it sounds like what you're saying is, as we think about the people in our life who are uh, – out, they're full of outrage, anxiety. They're yelling at the kid's birthday party. Right. You know, they're posting on Twitter. It, it sounds to me like what you're arguing is that the majority of the work is in me, not in Well, them. when I read the New Testament, and Caleb, I mean, you've read the Bible a time or two, so you tell me if I'm wrong on this. It seems as if the object of the New Testament's focus is not on transforming the world. It's on the church being transformed into the image of Jesus. Mm. And and so, I mean, I read passages like, hey, live such good lives among the pagans. And, and why? So that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, right? You will actually be vindicated when, mm-hmm. when your good works are found out. 
So that wasn't even to share their faith. It was rather so that the correct message about the goodness of the Jesus community would be received. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, when I read the New Testament, if I'm thinking of somebody else who needs to hear this besides me and my community, <laughs> I'm reading it wrongly. Yeah. Right? I'm yep. the focus of yeah. this. And that's the log and speck analogy of Jesus. Of course, people are sitting all around me. But how am I to regard their sin? If I'm regarding their sin as the logs and my sin is the speck, well, again, this isn't this isn't Jesus anymore. This is something else. Yeah. And so if I come into a conversation thinking I'm the biggest idolater in the room here, I'm the biggest, I'm the most corrupt, hmm. um, you know, idolater in the room. And if I deeply believe that, which I do, I have a much easier time being curious about, about what someone else is doing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't speak up. That doesn't mean we don't resist. Of course, Jesus in the face of evil was not passive. He was utterly active. I'm just saying it's much easier to demonize and label and inflame people online than it is to live a life of active resistance against the Christian nationalism that we see. Mm. And so so it's much less threatening to just make them the, the issue. Right. And so for me, what are the disciplines needed to sustain my presence at a table where I am inf- I'm infuriated with what's being said there. And of course, I don't always handle this perfectly. There, I have folks very close to me who are big Trump supporters. I personally am not, and I, and, and I don't care whether someone supports Trump or not. I only care when people invoke the name of Jesus to, to justify their support of him. Mm-hmm. That's when I get off the bus a little bit. And so I've got people around me who do that. And so the issue isn't getting them to stop. The issue is how do I love, treat, listen, am hospitable to those people as an act of creative resistance that, Mm. listen, I mean, enough, there's enough that's been broken apart by all of this stuff. There need to be, there need to be people who are insisting that we stick together. And so it's so good. That's the hardest. I mean, that's the hardest thing, you know. That's the yep. hardest thing to believe that I have more in common with a Jesus follower who is a diehard um, proponent of the opposite political view that I have. Yeah. That I have more in common with them than I do the non Jesus follower who sees the political world the same way I do. Yep. That, that, yeah. That takes a lot of work to yes. believe that. Yeah. Yeah. In Galatians 6. Uh, one and two, it says, uh, if That's anyone is caught up, what? That's is in the it? Bible. I heard some of yep. them. Yep. <laughs> some uh, of the one-liners are from the Bible. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a great line too. Uh, if any one of you is caught up in a transgression or evil, seek to restore that person gently and watch out lest. for your own self, lest you too be tempted. Therefore, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I'm convinced that a lot of the burden bearing is suffering the distance between you and me. Yeah. That, that just that. bearing the weight of how right. I feel when you say those words or behave yeah. that way. Yeah. It's an act of love to bear it yeah. in order to maintain relationship, to seek restoration for each other. And Oh, that's so good. And that, one of the things I love about your posture um, pastorally, in, hospitality is so centric 
to so, so centered in what you're doing. You're using the table language, bringing people in, and many people are stirred up uh, and anxious of loss, specifically loss around safety and belonging. So yeah. why are so many people turning to Christian yeah. nationalism? Because they, they feel like they're unsafe and they don't belong mm. or they're not going to belong mm. anymore. Mm. And hospitality answers those two questions or meets mm. those two needs. Yeah. And Hopefully. you're inviting us as Jesus followers to invite others to the table and to, in so doing, seeking their restoration and the restoration between us. And, yeah. And my uh, own, and yeah. my own yes. restoration. Oh man, Mike! I'm not just the, doing it for them. I'm doing it for me. Absolutely. And what kind of a world? What kind of a church? What kind of relationships would we be in if we were to ask, "What does God want to change in me through them? What are, What are they right seeing now. in me that's inviting? Right. That their Lord's inviting me to be restored." Uh, right. Again, that leveled playing field is there's gift giving and gift receiving, uh, even with people who hold positions that I think are abhorrent. Yep. And you see that in the Gospels. You see, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Paul's letters is he's, ta- he's constantly saying things like, uh, knock it off. <laughs> stop yeah. betraying yeah. each other. Stop yelling at each other. Stop biting yeah. each other and devouring each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he sees the gift that we have in being misfits around a table. Yeah. So, and that doesn't mean be the same and agree. Right. That means do not allow the energy of the old creation energy of the powers and principalities to, to energize your disagreement into fracture or division. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah. That thing Jesus did in John 17 when he was praying and he said that the church would be one as you and I, you, the Father and I are one. Yeah. And, and the oneness of misfits really is something special. It, it yeah. puts on display, you know, the many faceted, the multifaceted glory of God. Yeah. Uh, but when we fracture each other, we kind of dim that glory. Yeah. Uh, so if we're in a relationship, we, we've set the table, we're trying to work in the best we can, you know, by the power of the spirit to be hospitable to each other. We're inviting people in and they want to talk Bible. Uh, how might you coach us in inviting them to engage the scriptures in a fresh way that might bring about a more robust imagination for how to engage oh, in robust. civic life? Nice. Oh, I, I mean, I don't know how anyone else should do it. For me, I love saying, hey, let's read one of the gospels together. Mm. I mean, let's just go to the guy. Let's, you know, because, and and you know this, I mean, a lot of us, myself at the top of the list, think we know what Jesus has said, but we don't, we don't sit in the Gospels in their fullness or in their context or in their Jewishness long enough hmm. to let them sort of percolate beyond, oh, this is about me and my soul when it goes to heaven. And <clears throat> I, I found the practice of sitting in community and, and saying, if so, if somebody came up and said, man, you are so wrong on this. I just think you are, you're leading people astray. I think you're really wrong. Now, if this person were arrogant, condescending, not interested in relationship, I would do nothing with that information. Um, But if this person were somebody who was curious and wanted to talk and wrestle together, then man, going through the book of Luke or the book of Matthew together 
I'd, I'd have all day for stuff like that. What I don't want to get into is what we do on social media, which is just, hey, let's compare Bible verses. So Mm -hmm. here comes Biden's student loan forgiveness program and all the progressive Christians going, hey, here are all the things about Jubilee and debt forgiveness. And then, you know, the other other side, all the people are going, yeah, but here's Paul saying each one should carry their own load. And and you're like, okay, well, this is the dumbest thing. This is not a productive use of Bible, um, you know, even remotely. Right. And because the, the Bible's then serving the politics. And um, so I want to get it out of the prepackaged political opinions to just say, okay, well, I mean, what's Jesus like? How did people respond to him? What were the questions he was asking? And And as we're going through Bible, I'm not teaching. I'm not saying, oh, notice Jesus here had this opportunity to blast this person and didn't. I'm just saying, what do you see? And and for me, part of this is trusting that when you bring people into the orbit of word and spirit and community, that things change the longer they're at the table, not just in them, but in me too. And so I don't feel the need to order someone's discipleship. What I do feel the need to do is to protect the hospitable space. So the people that are not super welcome in the community are the people who are not super welcoming hmm. <laughs> to other people in the community. They're, they're just, it's not that we discourage them. They're just going to have a tough time because mm-hmm. we, we say, listen, there are illegal immigrants that are sitting here taking the Lord's Supper with you. And there are people who think illegal immigration, illegal immigrants should be deported. You both have to give in order to sit at the same table with mm-hmm. each other. We have people who are openly gay and people who think the gay people are going to burn in hell. And how much does it cost? It costs not a lot for the person to to think, oh, the, those gay people are going to hell. But for the gay person that's there, mm-hmm. it costs them a ton to sit at the same table. Yep. So so it costs, but it costs everyone, but it doesn't cost equally. Um. And so the, the kinds of people who will not feel welcomed are the kinds of people who aren't welcoming. Hmm. And, um, and, and, that does, and that's not to say we don't have opinions on things. We don't talk about things biblically. Of course we do. But we try to do it in a way that doesn't make disagreement the litmus test for belonging. Yep. Right? Or agreement. I should say that better. Agreement the litmus test for belonging. Yes. And so after every sermon teaching we do, we have like 15 minutes of Q&A and it's just, it can be anything and it's been anything and it's weird and it's awesome and not, and we tell people it's not because we have great answers, but we respect the questions. And so I hope that kind of thing allows people to sit comfortably in disagreement long enough so that the scripture can work its way through the spirit into the community. And then all of a sudden we're approaching topics with a little different perspective maybe than we did two years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that would be one, one way to try to recapture the Bible from this. Mm -hmm. I think the other, the other thing we've got to do is, um, and, and this goes into a bit about what we see as salvation in the American church if salvation is just believing the right things, then being right is unbelievably important. If salvation is bodily participation in new creation, then being right matters because I think bad theology does harm people. Hmm. 
And good theology helps us, but it doesn't save us. And the pressure to be right on everything isn't as immense. Yeah. Um, and so, so one of the things we try to do a lot of is we start way downstream on what, what the gospel actually turns out to be and what the church turns out to be, and then try to build an identity off of those two things that transcends the political discipleship and discourse of the age. And I don't know. I don't know how great that's working or not. I just know it's what I need. And, um, and, and there are a few who find it very helpful. Yeah, that's good. So as we're thinking about um, approaching people in our life, uh, who've given themselves over to combative postures or anxious postures or yeah. wrong thinking or militant thinking, whatever it might be. Um, not only inviting them to rethink about the Bible, uh, rethink how they think about the Bible, but also modeling for them the teaching of Jesus. That's and it, man. In so doing that, showing them the better way. Uh, I love it's it's an embodied That's posture, it. right? Uh, and it's meeting people in the space where this actually exists, not in the head, but in the heart. Right. Uh, most folks are not logicking themselves into these postures, but rather it's yeah. something going on in the heart. And Jesus meets us in those places of anxiety and fear and frustration and even outrage. Uh, and and, that, and that's in. why if the fruit of our Jesus following isn't any different from the fruit of our political media consumption, yeah, then – who cares if he gets us? You know what I mean? Like that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, if if following Jesus keeps, you know, I and I have I this is one thing I do talk to family members about is um what why do you why do you why do you think that you're perpetually anxious about new things? Like mm. what well, like what what is it? in seeing the world that's under threat. Yeah. And because I do think that's a, that's, that's fruit from political discourse, right? Yes. We're always under threat by some new thing. And the next election is the most important one in our lifetime. And I've been told that forever. Um, and, and if I want to be a, if I want to be a counter to that, then I've got to be some sort of non-anxious, hopeful presence in the world. And, yeah. and that means I really restrict social media and I really restrict how much time I'm, I'm spending on assessing new threat, uh, new threats in the world or whatever. And, um, and so there are these, like these disciplines that we practice in private, whether it's, it's scripture reading or prayer or the, the abstinence from political discourse or whatever that allow us to engage. And as you say, in bodily postures that provide emotional counterpoints to the fruit of, you know, constant political discourse. And I think that's where, you know, if our teaching is only designed to make sure that we're right and to let us know that we're right, man, I think we've really missed something very beautiful about what Jesus is wanting to do. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for uh, giving us your pastoral perspective <laughs> as the Times New Holy Roman Emperor. Oh, yes. Uh, just yes. means a lot that you would take time out of your uh, oh, empire it, business. Just, to yes. Be with it's, us. it's so busy. It's yeah, so I, busy. I, I <laughs> uh, where can people find you and your work, Mike? 
Well, Times New Roman can be found on any drop-down <laughs> menu. And um, it's an older Paint, font, think, but it's yeah. – yeah. It's classic. No, no, Caleb. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a, uh, a huge social media guy, but we have a, a Voxology podcast, which we're doing similar work to what you're trying to do, which is to provide a safe space and hospitable place for people to, I don't know, try to try to begin to discern the cultural baggage that has accompanied the Jesus message for a mm. lot of us yeah. and to sort of sift and sort that. Um, and then we have Voxology, Instagram and Twitter, but again, those aren't those. Um, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Those aren't, like we're not we're not super super active on those, and and part of the reason is exactly why we've been talking. I can't. It's hard for me to engage and scroll through social media and then feel better about life. Afterwards. Yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, but you do have the podcast, so the Voxology podcast. Oh yes. Oh, just you know what? And I got to tell you, Caleb, this, it, we're going on nine years old, bro. This was before wow. every middle aged white guy had a podcast. So I, I want to I want to <laughs> let people know, doggone it, that you were we yeah. were at the tip of the spear on that. Right. Yeah. Right at the front end. I love that. Yes. Yeah. 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 But you know, it's been. I mean, like you, man. Who knew this would be a thing? Oh, and, right. and 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 to be given like privileged access to people. I mean, I just, I just find it staggering. We get to do this. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's amazing. Absolutely. I think it's amazing. So well, proud right. of you. Thanks, Hope dude. the book launches beautifully and, and flourishingly into the kingdom because I have to say these, like, this is very important discipleship stuff. It's yep. just super easy to write everyone else off and go, ah, they're idiots. They don't get it. Right. And to do the Jesus work here. Man, we're desperate for resources on how to do that. So I'm glad I'm glad to be a part of what you're up to. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, brother. All right, dude. See you next time. Boom. <laughs>